Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <gasps> Dave Badini is a talented musician, columnist, and prolific author who calls Toronto, Ontario home. Well known as a founding member of the utterly unique rock band Rio Statics and for his solo work in Badini Band, Dave is also a veteran of the Writers' Festival circuit, having published 13 books to date that chronicle his interest in music, sports, and travel, among other things. Even when he's talking about music and sports travel there's just lots of travel he travels a lot in fact his latest book is called midnight light a personal journey to the north which is available across canada on september 18th 2018 via mcclelland and stewart Badini spent a summer in yellowknife in canada's northwest territories ostensibly working as a columnist for the local paper the yellowknifer but also flying around the region to immerse himself in as much indigenous culture and remote landscapes as he possibly could. While learning about the place and its broad cross-section of people, he encountered a Yellowknifer reporter named John McFadden, who winds up getting arrested by the RCMP for obstruction and fighting for his freedom in a trial that pits journalism against authority. Ahead of his appearance reading at the 2018 Eden Mills Writers' Festival, Dave and I discussed his compelling new book, Midnight Light, his respect for and interest in local reporting, what he discovered on this monumental trip through Canada's north, a forthcoming album by Rio Statics, and much more. With in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, and of course listeners like you who make flexible monthly pledges at patreon.com slash Control. Download episodes and subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you use. This is the 424th episode of Creative Control, featuring Dave Bedini with your host, me, Vish Khanna. He was playing at Madison Square. 
When the coaches would scream, he'd turn his back and play air guitar. But who has poisoned the prodigal son? Why does hockey devour its young? Is it the curse of the cold or the promise of what winter will kill? Hi, Dave. How's it going? Hi, Fish. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Oh, it's a sunny, brisk day in, in, Guel- in Guelph. Where are you? Same here. Yep, same, same deal. <laughs> nice. It's nice. You're in Toronto? It's the same, probably. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> I don't know. I never know where you are. Are you actually in Toronto? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, all right. Yeah, it's a beautiful day. Now, I want to congratulate you on your 13th book, Midnight Light. Lucky 13. Is it lucky? Was it lucky? In Sweden, it's lucky. Was it lucky for you? Uh, nah, I don't think it's ever. <laughs> writing is ever lucky. <laughs> it's a it's a curse that finds you, and then so I don't know if there's that's kind of a beautiful curse, I guess. Uh, lucky, we'll see. Okay, sure, I got it done, so that's 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 good. That's good luck. I guess. Yeah, you kind of uh, towards the end of this book admit that you know. Uh, and I don't want to spoil the uh, the book in any way, so we'll be careful here. But yep. you kind of admit that you don't know what you have until you get home. You're going to sort it all out, maybe redo it, you say, I believe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, did that, is that I what guess. happened? Well, yeah. I mean, even the time, the timeline of the book was interesting because I spent a long time up in uh, up in the Northwest Territories initially, and then I went back seven times. So the, um, the first time that I left, I really wasn't sure. And then... Um, subsequent uh trips back the timeline is compressed in the book but yeah yeah i didn't really yeah that's right i didn't really have my ending in, uh, of the book until until the ending yeah yeah well that that that, yeah. that that makes sense in the in the way that time works well and we should say too it's a there's a, sort of a trial absorbs the last um bit of the book and and the, it's the trial that kind of gives me the ending of the book and with with any with any court case, you're never really sure which way it's going to go. Yeah, I, I was going to say, uh, and we uh, sorry I jumped ahead there. I wanted to give That's you okay. give you the opportunity uh, for people listening to to sort of explain and, and summarize this book. It's called Midnight Light: A Personal Journey to the North. So, can you kind of let's go back a little bit and explain uh, what the book is about and 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 how it came to be? Can you do that for us? Sure, I can. Yes, I had I had stopped writing for the National Post. I did, was out of a gig. And I was looking to continue to write regularly, and then you know there wasn't, there weren't opportunities uh, here uh, down south. And I had remembered I'd been to Yellowknife for a literary festival and kind of fell in love with the town. Um, and remembered there was a newspaper uh, that was published, uh, that is published twice a week up there called the Yellowknifer. And so I was sort of, um, I was looking for an excuse to get back to Yellowknife to write about it, but I was also hoping to continue to write in, um, you know, uh, to work in journalism. 
um, after my run at the post and, uh, the Yellowknifer said that they would accommodate me on, on both of those levels. So I ended up going to, to yell to Yellowknife to work. And while I was there, um, I met a reporter named John McFadden who, um, like a lot of people in Yellowknife, it was sort of a last stop for him on his kind of, kind of his career, having had a very complicated life down South and having burned a lot of bridges with uh, certain media outlets down here. And we became friends. And while I was up there, he was arrested for obstruction of justice Mm. um, by the RCMP. So the book kind of follows his uh, experiences in the courts. And it follows the the newspaper sort of like the RCMP in this rather relatively small town in Canada, these two kind of forces rising against each other. So it's my time at the Yellowknife, or it's my time in the Northwest Territories. I also got around the territories a lot traveled so i you know i got to from very distant places in our country and and was able to write about that but it's really it's about my experiences up there and the people i met and you know the kind of adventures that occurred while i was there yeah and it really sort of captures a moment in time where the media is in a is and maybe was in a kind of cultural crisis and and you were going through it yourself. I mean, I think most of you, most of us rather, you know, we were talking about the fact that this is your 13th book. We think of you as a, a musician, as an author. I, I don't know that as many, and, and I, I follow your work, so I know that you've been a working journalist for some time, a columnist for some time. But I, I guess I didn't really realize until this book, maybe, uh, and forgive me if I'm forgetting other times where yep. you've discussed this, I just didn't realize how invested in the practice of journalism you were. Where does that stem from exactly? I don't think it's journalism so much as newspapers, honestly, because I would never uh, confuse myself with being a journalist. People who are journalists work much harder than it, in any capacity I've ever worked at a newspaper. I've mostly been a columnist, you know. Yeah. So, so mo- no, more it's my kind of my attachment with newspapers, you know, having you know, I worked uh, with them and in them for a long time. Ever since I was 11 years old, I was first published in The Young Sun, in The Toronto Sun. And then th- right through that, you know, whether it's writing for a local, you know, um, music papers uh, right across the country and then um, and then The Toronto Star for two years in the in the 1990s and up through the National Post. So, but but I will say, though, it was, it really, it was working at the Yellow Knife for that kind of rekindled or sort of so re-engaged and reminded me of kind of my love and my affinity for, for newspapers. You know, I'd never been a reporter before either, so that was really thrilling. And when I came back and wrote the book... I realized, honestly, you know, uh, seeing as we're kind of talking about the craft in general, I had a, a lot more fun working at the Yellow Knife for and being a reporter than actually writing this goddamn book. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, there was something about that taste of you know news breaking, kind of covering and being right at the at the front front rank of of life in Yellow Knife um, and covering it that was really exciting to me, and that ended up, you know inspiring us to do the West End Phoenix, but, um, yeah. Was, Which is uh, your, your own newspaper. You started yeah, your right. own newspaper. You became a newspaper magnet. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, <laughs> newspaper midget. <laughs> well, I, this book resonates with me for a few different reasons, and I'll, I'll explain them uh, as quickly as I can. One, I, I once had a summer job uh, working for the Cambridge Times uh, in Cambridge, Ontario, and that is a biweekly uh, newspaper. So I think similarly to the similar to the Yellow. Is the Yellow Knife huh. a biweekly? Is it twice a week? Yep, 
twice a week, yep. right? Yep. And, and you kind of, I liked it because I was a student at the time. I had a student job there, and they let me do whatever I want. So I interviewed, nice. I interviewed Gordon Lightfoot somehow, great, uh, great. which might resonate with you as well. I I got to write, but mm. so there was that stuff. But then I also had they'd be like, "Can you go figure out why people are stealing the flowers?" At the, at the houses downtown. Yep. And so yep. I came back. I went out as a reporter. I, I was a music fan, and I liked writing about music and whatever. But I go there, and I come back, and I file the story, and they let me use the headline, Bulb Bandits Baffle Botany Buffs, which I liked. Wow. That's a good That's a good headline, right? <laughs> sure so I, I So I enjoyed the reporting. I enjoyed the small-town reporting because you always get like, there's a, can you go find out why the woman in New Hamburg – has 45 cats? Of course, I, of course I will, you know? So I like that stuff. I enjoy it and I appreciate what you had to do there. Because one of your biggest scoops, yep. you say a taste of journalism, one of your biggest scoops in the book is you, you broke the news that the local KFC was closing down. So Which that, was serious, serious news in Yellowknife, yes. That's because right. people came from all over the territories and came and they would buy buckets and buckets of the KFC and then take it home and freeze it for the winter, right? They love in the communities. They love. They they are devoted to the KFC, and and that's right. When news came that it was uh, that it was going to close and um, it was going to become a burger joint, it was it was it was pr- territorial news. Like that that news resonated across across the territories. Yeah, people would come in by snowmobile in the winter and buy you know by and by float plane. And buy, you're right, dozens of buckets of chicken, and then bring it back to the the communities and freeze it. And then when they when they would have socials, they would they would um, warm it up, and people would eat it. Yeah, so that was my big news scoop. I would go and like, uh, you know, I would write like the entertainment buzz feature. I'd write the weather. Uh, I did a regular column. I would do streeters, so I'd go out on the street and ask people questions about, you know, one question about Yellowknife life, and they would answer it and stuff. So, yeah. uh, and I would go, you know, there was even certainly, and there was har- harder news, which I didn't write, but I was side saddled to all the other reporters too. You know, double murders. Oh yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, yeah and, and and fires and on 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 the water and stuff. So yeah, there was a, so that there was a lot of that. So I really got, was able to kind of come come around on it, and it's um. You know, I think you're either a cop or you're a firefighter or you're, you know, working with street people or you're or you're a reporter, and that's those are the ways that you best know a city. And so, for me to write about this new city, you know, provided kind of almost immediate access, right? To yeah. immediately kind of get spike into the vein of the place and and uh, have it have it uh you know right there in front of me and stuff. So that was a it was it proved to be a great way of getting to know the city and 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 write about it sort of from street level up as opposed to you know as opposed to a bit of a flyby where I was just kind of hanging around the bars and the cafes. I I was really, you know, I was deployed into the place to 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 learn and write about it and stuff. So that was I was I'm grateful for the Yellowknife for that they allowed me to do that. Well this is one of the things I think you and I have in common, I think, is that I mean both of us love music. Both of us have gotten into music and I think to discover other aspects of the world and I think to see the world, um, you know, I think like you I've I, I know I I I'll tell you, I've been to every province and territory at this point except for Nunavut. Uh, which I'm hoping to get to at some point. And uh, and that's because of music. And music opened up the world to me. But we're at a point now, I think, where we're so saturated and obsessed with world news that we sometimes forget 
the the significance of local news. And I and I I don't bring up the KFC news breaking story that you you know stumbled upon on Twitter because the Yellowknifer didn't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> Go online and <laughs> or break yeah. news on Twitter. They didn't have a, at the time. They didn't have a, a Twitter feed or anything. I don't bring it up to make fun of it. I think when I worked at the Cambridge Times and then subsequently their sister papers, the New Hamburg Independent, the Waterloo Chronicle, now I'm a columnist at the Guelph Tribune, that connection to the local uh, uh, you know, culture, local economy, local social, that, that stuff, I think we sometimes take it for granted. We're so obsessed with what's going on in America, in the world at large, that we, we these small town papers are kind of laughed at and joked at. Your book kind of highlights how important this kind of media is and i think that's what inspired you to do your 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 uh, your own paper in toronto right yeah for sure and that's i think that's more i do think though i will argue that um well well those sort of papers were you know um maybe looked down at from some of the bigger um papers in the country what you're seeing now is there's a real fondness that's kind of returning to us and a, and a real appreciation for um for news at that level for the for the reasons that you mentioned that that yeah. it that they are largely it is largely disappearing and um but i think local local news and local journalism and local papers will prove to be kind of the through line as media chain changes i th- i think those are the papers that will sustain you know i think a lot of the big papers are really challenged right now and mm-hmm. they're having a really, really tough time navigating through that greater world of, you know, um, fast news, right? And of, 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 you know, br- you know, news at, as it as busts out online and having to reinvent themselves in digital form. Local news just kind of really just kind of, and community news just kind of keeps, it, it knows what it is very well. And the Yellowknifer especially, like they, before we ever talked about kind of microjournalism and, and, and grassroots writing and, 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 and local news and, and the value of it, the Yellowknifer have always just kind of put their head down. And they, when they started in 73, you know, they, this was before, really before these, you know, our sense of local news had been heightened as it, as it is now. They determined they would never run any wire service yeah. um, items. And they also, if, if it didn't happen in Yellowknife, they just simply didn't write about it, which is kind of the opposite of where a lot of mainstream news is right now. You know, it's it's all about if it happened elsewhere, if it if it bleeds, it leads. You know, if it's a big story, let's cover it. And they all, they the two uh, people who started that, were very, very, you know, they were quite clear in the way this paper would operate. And because of that, there's there's a deep, deep bond still um, for people who live in the territories and the newspaper. And it's a connection that will never be severed yeah. um, because there's a real, people have put their faith and trust in this paper, knowing that they're going to be read about themselves, they're going to read about their neighbors, going to le- read about what's happening in their community. And not only that, Yellow, the Yellowknifer is going to hold the greater Northwest territories got the territorial government accountable. They're going to hold the cops accountable. They're going to expose the mining industry for what it is. They're going to be, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be the watchdogs for the communities and the neighborhoods in Yellowknife to make sure that, that um, it continues to be what it, it is and what it should be. So yeah. um, that's great. They, they've always been really way, way ahead of the curve. And that's one of the reasons that paper appealed to me. Now, I spent uh, a week and a bit in Yellowknife in 2000, and uh, my cousin was uh, getting married, and um, I enjoyed it very much. 
uh, I was a bit mystified by the, it was the summer as well. You spent the summer there. I spent the yep. summer there. So we had the constant light, the mosquitoes, the size of uh, uh, baseballs, basically, just yep. like, just ridiculous stuff. How would you characterize this? I know you said you, you loved it. You, you spent a bit of time there for the literary festival. Then you spent most of a, a summer there. Um, how would you characterize the, I know you said you loved it, uh, but can, how would you characterize the city and the community uh, for people who who haven't been, who may never go? Uh, what would you say about it? Um, well, like any place, it's a complicated place. It's hard to kind of really describe um, in, in sort of a in a couple of minutes. But I will say uh, there's a couple of things that are really interesting about the city. One is, um, uh, you know, the government is 100% Dene. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dene is the First Nations group there, and they um, they have a very very strong and pronounced presence in the city, and the the culture and life is very very is really accessible, and um, and friendly and open. And for me, I didn't really know how I would walk in or access Indigenous life there, Indigenous culture. It was hard for me to know just because I'd never really been exposed to it like that before and it was just it was easy the community dilo which is the indigenous community was really available to me um and it was so it was great it was a great you know it was a, a easy way to to learn and to know about indigenous life indigenous culture in the north so it, so that's amazing like if you need if you want a crash course in the north and you want to know you want to really learn about sort of the birth of of our continent then um, all you have to do is go to Yellowknife and you walk immediately right into the story of, of, of people's lives and their, and their legacies and their families. So that's, that's amazing. Uh, that's one of the things that, that makes Yellowknife, like Yellowknife amazing is the den, the presence of the Dene. And, um, and the other thing is it's, it's, um, there are parts of the, uh, of the, uh, the city that really seem out of time, you know, like from another era, like, you know, the houseboat, um, uh, community on the people who live on the water um, is is wild. It's both a hundred years ago and a hundred years into the future. You know the kind of sustainable communities that they've created on on the water. Um, also, old pockets of the city. You know, like there's Old Town and there's the Woodyard, which are really communities that haven't changed in decades and are really very, very charming and eccentric and strange and wild and secret too. Like uh, not a lot of Canada knows, knows about these places. So they've been able to, their charm and their character has really been preserved. Um, So, you know, listen, it's the, I was so grateful to have found, a capital city in Canada that had never really had a book written about it before, yeah. which shows you, tells you a couple things. One, it shows, it, it reminds you how young our country is partly both artistically and culturally and just kind of as a society. And also, it, it also suggests that the North is still a great, it's still a part of our, um, of our consciousness that is yet to be discovered. Um, you know, I went up to Great Bear Lake in Deline, which is the the only town of its size that has um, uh, indigenous uh, self government. Yeah, it's also possibly the place where hockey was invented, and um, it's also where um, uranium was mined. Uh, it, it, um, the uranium that was mined outside of Deline ended up. Um, being used for the Manhattan Project, and um, it resulted in mass cancer deaths up there too. But it's on Great Bear Lake, and the elders that that um, sort of are the the guardians of the town 
are preserving Great Bear Lake through many uh, various means. One of them is to create that, ensure that that whole um, area is regarded as a biosphere. But one of the reasons they're doing that is because they believe that all of the continent ultimately will have to return to Great Bear Lake because as it stands now, it's the largest um, resource of fresh water in North America, I believe. And it's the third largest uh, freshwater body of water in the world. And so it was amazing to go up to this remote part and see that they have, despite the fact that it's remote and way up on Great Bear Lake, they still are, they still are thinking of, of it in the context of the world and where the world is moving. So there's a great kind of care um, at that part of Canada, like you wouldn't, you would excuse somebody for being so distant from everybody else to just kind of ignoring the rest of the world. It gets so hard for them to stay in touch. But I found them to be, I found the Satu in uh, in Great Bear Lake and Delineate to be amazing in that regard. So it, it was a real great, it was amazing to discover places I didn't even know existed, let alone places I never thought I would visit and, and, and was visiting. So Yeah, no, incredible. It, it's one of the things I, I greatly appreciate this about this book is that you didn't just uh, stick around in Yellowknife. You, you went and explored the region for as far as you could and immersed yourself in, in local cultural traditions. And it, it speaks to something about you that, uh, I mean, for for those of us who have followed your work, your writing, your musical uh, career, we know you are someone who likes to travel and to explore parts of the world. And there's a nomadicity to you. You're a nomad a little bit. Where does that come from, do you suppose? Was your family, did you travel a lot with your family when you were younger? No. No, I think it's a, it goes back to that first tour, you know, going across Canada in 1987 and, in, in, you know, the Delta 88 where with a band. It's like, that was just such a monumental journey you know and a, a journey of survival and being out on the road for two and a half months i'd never been anywhere really before that um and you know surviving that that tour and discovering all these people in these these cities across canada and really kind of being you know sort of motivated by that experience you know made one want to uh a cont- you know it just made me it just kind of i knew that i could do it i guess you know hmm. surviving that Cross Canada tour and wanting to do more and and that's what kind of kind of I kind of pushed me beyond and and you're right like it's but it's funny you mentioned about um you know uh, going uh, and and uh, to different parts of Canada in the north there for my for my book and discovering local traditions kind of the great thing about well for instance being in Tuktoyaktuk wasn't so much discovering what was kind of really inherent to that region or that city but to to touch on the, the experience that are experiences that are kind of universal everywhere, you know, the thing, the, 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 those those instances that I could, could have happened in any town, only I, they were kind of happening in that town, and you know, uh, you know, I I I end up I end up getting high with like a bunch of hunters up there, <laughs> yeah. and I end up playing playing like you know Doug Som music with this dude in his in his house. Right on the shores of the Arctic Ocean. You modest, um, yeah, I must say, you modestly in the book say uh, you tell this fellow, "Yeah, I play a little drums." I think <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty. Well, it's true. He's playing I guitar. Play he's, a little drums. Uh, yeah, he's playing. He's rigged out. He's playing. You just he, you overhear this this guy playing music. He's playing yeah, guitar right. and he's hooked up to a, what is it, an electric drum kit or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's like a V kit. Yeah. Yeah, and so you just stumble upon this. You're invited in, and then you you Dave, who I consider you know one of our most gifted 
guitar players, musicians. You, you, you say to the guy, uh, yeah, I play a little drums. I thought that was nice, actually. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> well, I'm not going to read your resume, but the truth of the matter is I can hack around on a kit, right? So yeah. He had this electronic drum kit, and um, poor Ricky Kikowak, you know, he's pretty much spends his days at home by himself, you know. When, actually, when I heard his first music, it sounded kind of a little bit like a weird electro, demented Neil Young, and I was like, what's happening here? Because <laughs> the beats were a little, just a little bit off, yeah. and I realized what he was doing was uh, he was sitting behind the kit and sort of playing the bass drum uh, behind the kit and also playing guitar and singing, so... He was actually playing guitar and drums at the same time. So when I went in there, it was like, buddy, like we can do this together. So, and he was so thrilled. Yeah. He was as thrilled as I was. You know, I was thrilled to be playing with him and singing songs about Tuck Tyactic with him. And he was thrilled that a drummer walked through his door, a quasi drummer. So, so I did that. And then I also played baseball with these kids, like under the midnight sun until like four in the morning. So, but it was neat to kind of be in that setting and be with, you know, these new people that I'd met, but actually kind of doing the things I would have just done here. And that's important to, to know that we are connected around the world, right? By these very similar experiences that we have, we just have them in different, you know, different situations in different places. But well, you're, you're someone who, uh, you know, when someone off, I mean, you witness people, Catching uh, beluga whales or whatever, like you know, carving up beluga whale yeah. and and cutting up all kinds of uh, fish and, and and just gutting it and cleaning it and smoking it and uh, smoking it, meaning you know, in a smoker, yeah. not not. I don't believe anyone <laughs> smoked it per se. Um, and and I I just the only thing I could think of was it's probably good that Dave is not a a vegan or a vegetarian because you can't. I don't see you have to be <laughs> yeah. kind to explore these things and you enjoy like you you ate things you've never consumed before, right? Yeah, well when, you know, when in Rome, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and and I say that I think in the book like part of the fun for them. Well, first of all, there's not many visitors to Tuktoyakta. Yeah. Um yeah. during the year. So, but when you're there, you know, anytime you're in kind of remote place, the locals, you kind of give them the um, you know, the pleasure of uh have you know watching you you know eat something that is obviously obviously going to be strange to you mm -hmm. and they get a certain sort of joy and sort of sub sub subjecting you to that and you give that to them it's fine so um but yeah no it was uh but again i must say it made the, you know everybody that i met around the territories made it really easy for me and they were super welcoming and yeah. there was no hostility and i'd been warned a little bit before i went up to tuck 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 about um you know, there being kind of a uh, little uh, resentment um, 
against people from the South and, and white people from other parts of Canada, because largely their experiences have been with like, you know, oil and mining companies that go up, up there and kind of carpet bag, you know, and put a bit of money into the economy and then split if it doesn't work, work out and stuff. So, but I never, there was no, I, I never experienced any hostility. Um, but also I think maybe the reason I didn't experience that hostility was because I was more than happy to sit and jam with Ricky Kikowak and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and yeah. eat beluga meat. So, um, but yeah, so that's, so that's, that's kind of where the book kind of widens a little bit in terms of it being a bit more of a kind of a pan territorial book. And that's kind of where the, the travel element of the book, but, I think ultimately the essence of the book really does come down to, you know, the uh, John McFadden, the reporter, getting arrested and, you know, it kind of becoming a bit of a court procedural. Uh, and, and that's, I think, in a way, that's kind of the real kind of sus suspenseful kind of hook in terms of the narrative of the book. And it gives people... You know, it was I was I was grateful to be able to root the book in that. Well, I want to I want to ask you about that briefly because I feel like you, the way the book is out, the way you outline the action of the book is that you're you're having this personal crisis. You discover the Yellowknifer will take you on for this summer stint, and then you get up there, and then there's all this there's all these characters that you discover. You discover former members of Propagandi. You discover that there's yep. this John McFadden character, and he's a uh, kind of nefarious and infamous in the in the city uh, as well. Compare what your plan was for this trip. <laughs> you know what your objectives right. might have been, and then you know you say you're not a reporter, but you you hit upon these stories. And I I just I'm trying to put myself in your shoes when you get up there, and you're like, oh my god. I have a story now. Like I didn't. I would assume you didn't know you were going to have these kinds of stories. You get there, you got them. What's going through your mind compared to when you you started the the idea of this trip? I think yeah. I think it's true when you go when you when you when you go abroad to write, you want to put yourself in situations where stuff can happen, right? You know, for better or worse. And and um, yeah, I was. I thought really it would just kind of be more or less a book about. You know the operations of the Yellowknife, Yellowknife, or how it coexisted with the city. I'd write about the the reporters working there. I'd write a little bit about the town. I'd write a bit more about the territories. And then I woke up on July second to you know dozens of of texts and messages from John. And uh, you know I, I called him and and I asked you know what what you know what he wanted, and he told me that he'd been arrested the night before by the RCMP, um, who, uh, who claimed he was, um, he'd forced himself inside a van to take photographs, uh, of a vehicle that they were, they were searching, yeah. um, after they told him not to. So he had spent the night in jail. And, um, so, you know, I remember him saying to me at one point, uh, over the course of his trial, he said, um, oh, it'd be a great, you know, it'd be a great ending for your book if I, if I went to jail. And I was like, John, I don't need you to go to jail for, for me to get an ending for this book. But um, yeah, so that was in a weird way. Like he recognized, he recognized the fact that him being arrested was, was actually kind of a great gift to me narratively. And I kind of, I had to admit that it was like, so um, it's always nice when you, you know, you set down the path to do a work to anything creative that you do, like when yeah. these these gifts kind of come at you and and um i think the it's the artist's job to recognize them yeah like ah you know that's 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 the the road that i will 
that I will run down. The artist and the reporter, I will say. Like I don't yeah. don't, don't sell yourself short here. This is a I, I would argue, Dave, I mean this is a this is an excellent journalistic book, if I might say. Thanks. Thanks, Vish. Well that's really nice to hear and it's it's um I did I did know that, you know, because it's about newspapers and because it's about journalism, um it would suck if it wasn't actually well written in that regard and that my if my you know if my reporting and my if my reporting wasn't tight so because i know a lot of journalists will you know will read it and stuff too so yeah um i i tried to to aspire to make this um a little bit more careful in, in that regard and stuff too so i'm glad that i'm glad that resonated it does resonate with me and and as we're speaking this book is not yet out into the in the public it will be out september 22nd which it could be could be September twenty second, depending on when people are, are hearing this. But all I all I was going to say is, you embedded yourself in this community and a few different communities up in the Northwest Territories. And I'm curious, you know, these people trusted you. In the book, you have a complicated relationship with John, uh, as a yep. lot of people seem to. Uh, where you go back, you love him. You you love each other. You hate each other. It seems <laughs> to me uh, in the yep. course of the book. Did you vet? any of this material with anyone up there has anyone up there proofread it or checked it out did you do you have that impulse as a because you have to be objective in your line of work but i also know from my own experience that if you're covering someone on a personal level like you have been here that you kind of want to make sure they're okay with it on some level has anyone up there looked at your like a, a copy of this book at this point yeah i actually sent the whole book to john and John had said to me, and one of the like he was also a gift because he is, uh, you know, completely self-aware and uh, does by by no means has a romanticized view of himself. So he um, told me, you know, uh, you can write whatever you want to write about me. And I was like, now are, are you sure? And actually, truth be told, there were a couple of sections that I decided were a little bit too strong. Mm-hmm. But I sent the whole book to him, and he read the whole book, and. Uh, he had a few minor notes, but mostly they it was factual stuff. But he was happy to have his him sort of portrayed nakedly, which was uh, which was really great. I'm so grateful f- for him hmm. to him for that. Um, and I also did send sections to people at the Yellowknife for just to make sure I kind of got it right. Now I did change a few names and stuff, yes, and I have yes. ma- masked a few situations to just sort of not embarrass people. But yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, it has to be a you know, the mirror has to be fairly, it has to be windexed, right? So yeah. it's it's fairly fairly clean um, and is a true impression. So, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't want, I didn't want it, I didn't want Yale and I from the Northwest Territories to be a region in Canada I could never, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. go back to visit again. So mm-hmm. I think, and I have had people in, in the territories read it um, as it exists kind of in galley form and um, they seem quite fond of it because it is true you know i'm a southerner right i don't live like there are people there who know this the town obviously yeah way more intimately than me and um i don't i don't want to pretend that i that i know everything about the town or even that my impression is true it's just my impression so um but 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 i but i think i'm going to be okay because people there who've read it seem to respond positively yeah and i mean beyond what we've discussed here i I should point out and I, i want people to know that you know, you you go really deep into the social and cultural life uh, of, of this of this region and how heartbreaking it can be. Uh, you know, tales of domestic abuse, uh, mental illness, alcoholism, yeah. 
uh, institutional incarceration, uh, obviously the plight of indigenous people. Like it's 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 a really comprehensive like book. I feel like I I'm there. I feel like I I've immersed myself in it in this place. Uh, and so I just want to once again I'm I, I don't mean to keep. Uh, you know, blowing smoke up your whatever. But I just want you to know that I, I was really affected by this thing, and I, I hope that uh, that other people read it uh, to get a sense of this place that a lot of us may never get to. Thanks. And, and um, yeah, the problem I had really ultimately was, um, you know, uh, it could have been twice the... There's just so much... There's so much to write about a place, you know, but... For sure, and that was the, especially with the um, indigenous life. I, I, I had to, I, obviously, I had to make sure that, that was a, a huge component of the book, as opposed to white guy doing white guy stuff. But that's the the great thing about Yellowknife. It's impossible, yeah. in a way, to be a white guy doing white stuff because um, indigenous culture is is everywhere there. So, um, but I also had to make sure that uh, you know the words of people who live there were uh, expressed in the book. So wasn't so much my, an interpretation, my interpretation of their story, but rather their stories and yeah. stuff too. And, yeah. and that's the thing I do. So one of the things I do say about Yellowknife in terms of like, it is in it's indigenous life played out in every regard, you know, whether it's the, you know, star MLA or whether it's the, you know, the premier, um, Bob McLeod, uh, who's a Dene dude, um, whether it's, you know, his kind of rise to power or whether it's the scene in front of the, the post office where you do, you know, find people, you know, day drinking, you know, yeah, every, yeah. every day really. And, but, but, but even with, even with a lot of that life, no matter kind of so how hard or, or cruel it is on a certain level, I did find I had a lot of amazing conversations with people just kind of hanging, hanging out, drinking and stuff too. Yeah, like yeah. people were, were, uh, you know, and I knew this from just being with uh, homeless, the homeless soccer team down here that, that, that I work with and how, you know, people are just waiting to sort of tell a story in whatever capacity they, they are. And that's that's the job of the writer to get to get up there and get those stories out of them. And it wasn't hard. Yeah. Well, it's a remarkable book, Dave. I want to before we get into uh, your plans about this book, which I assume includes some uh, readings and, and yep. writers festivals and things like that. Uh, do you have a sense of what's next for you after Lucky 13? Do you have a, another book idea or other ideas that uh, we need to know about? And also, I should say, as as you know, I'm a fan of your work as a musician. If you have any rheostatics stuff, yep. anything going on, what's going on with you, Dave? Yeah, we have a record that we're just sort of finishing, which is exciting. And uh, I hope that comes out in the late fall. That's what we're looking at right now. It's almost done. We just have to mix it. Um, so that was uh, that's been... Um, a big part of the of the summer. Um, how long has then, it been? How long has it been since the last Rheostatics uh, proper album? Uh geez, I think it was. I want to say two thousand and six or two thousand and five. It's been a long time. Yeah. So um, this is something that uh, Rheostatics fans have been waiting for a long time. Yeah, for sure. Um, and also thought would never come. Yeah, and to, you know it's the original band and stuff too, which is great and. Um, so, so yeah, let's, it's, it's, I think it's going to be fabulous. So that'll be good to kind of get that out there. And then, you know, we're, we're at the end of September, we're starting our second year of the West End Phoenix, which is our, our newspaper here and, um, charging full, full steam ahead on that and putting it all together. And, um, 
and so that's that's exciting too. I think that's going to be, uh, you know, hopefully it's going to be a great great year with that. And people from um, all people from all over the world can subscribe. Yeah, to the newspaper? we we mail. Yeah, yeah we mail about four hundred across country and around the world, and it's a hundred dollars subscription for people who live outside the West end of Toronto for a, for a year's worth of newspapers, you know, delivered to your home. And we, you know, we have this year, you know, we have Alex Lifeson did a, did a comic for us last year um, about his life uh, for every issue. And this year we have Mishi Mee's going to be doing the comic. Oh, cool. um, so yeah. So, and there's a lot of other stuff announced to announce as, as well. It looks like we're hiring, going to hire a city hall reporter to, to report um, online for us and also in the paper over the course of these next six months. So um, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff that, that we're doing. And then just in terms of a long form book, I don't really have any ideas right now. I think I maybe kind of might be pressured into, or I'm pressuring myself into maybe writing a novel just because I've never done that before. And hmm. I feel maybe ready to, to do that after you know a long time writing nonfiction, so I'm gonna maybe, I'm gonna try that, but okay, but um, yeah, so we'll we'll kind of we'll kind of see where that goes, but uh, right now just yeah, just getting ready to head out in the road and come to see you guys and uh, and 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 take the book out across the country and back to Yellowknife too, which is great to to do an event uh, at the end of October and um, and do that. So I think and if, if anybody's listening, uh, yeah, September 27th is our is the launch of this book in Toronto. And it's also the launch of the first issue of the West End Phoenix too. So that'll be a fun night. Okay. And where is that happening? At the Gladstone. At the Gladstone, September 27th. And where can people learn more about you and this book, Dave? I don't know. I guess listen to this podcast. No, I don't know. I don't <laughs> Do you know have a website or can. something? You, got, you must have a on website. On the internet? Yeah, sure. Go on the internet. <laughs> I'm not expecting them to come to your house, but do you have like a, a personal website that people Don't. Can... No, don't no go to website. Yeah. No, I don't. I yeah. just found I didn't have the time to kind of make it any good. So, oh, you don't. You actually don't have your own. I thought you did. No, have, no. Okay, okay. No, so, it but doesn't exist. You're you very, get one of those. What? I was going to say you're very active on social media and stuff, though, right? Well, it's totally. And I think because I'm active on social media, a website doesn't. We have there's a website for the West End Phoenix, westendphoenix.com, and that has a lot of links to other stuff that I do too. So. And where are you, who are you on Twitter? What is your Twitter handle? Hockey S. Hockey S. Yeah, it's not even. See, I'm glad I asked. I didn't want people to be looking up at Dave Bedini and not finding you. There so. you go. And uh, the book. Uh, for more information about the book, which is published by McClellan and Stewart, I guess Penguin yep. PenguinRandomHouse.ca is probably that's a good, right. Good place to go. Okay, Dave. Well, totally. I appreciate this time. You know, I you I've had some authors on the show lately, and I haven't been able to throw to any music, which I often oh. do on this show. And I wondered if you th- could think of a song of your own, preferably, So, because you're on the phone and I have you on the hook. It's all legal. It's all fine. <laughs> yep. Is there a song by you or the Rio Statics that we can share with the people that might be appropriate at this time? Uh, well, maybe you want to play something from the Bedini Band. I think maybe Say the Names from the last Bedini Band record might okay. be kind of a good one, just because it starts with the voice of Al Purdy and we're talking about books and stuff too. So, um yeah, maybe you want to spin that. And when did that record come out? That came out. Uh, I am terrible with dates, but maybe, maybe two thousand and fourteen. I think the motherland is the name of. The oh record. right, okay, okay. So it's yeah, been out a little I think while. that's about right. Fourteen, fifteen, or something like that. Okay, this is Bedini Band with Say the Names, uh, Dave. Uh, this is all. It's always great to talk to you. I appreciate uh, your time today and and yeah, this, this book. Thank I, you. I, I wish you the best of luck with everything. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it. Nice talking, eh? Reach up your hand and turn the moonlight off. And maybe it was never there at all. 
never promise anything to me. Reach across the darkness with your hand. Reach across the distance tonight. And touch the moving moment once again. Before you fall asleep.
Special thanks to the people at McClellan and Stewart and my old friend Dave Bedini for appearing on this, the 424th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on things like Spotify, YouTube, and Audio Boom as well. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for on any of those things, or if you wish to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Vish Creative or at Vishkana. That's me. You can follow me at Vishkana. You can also listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at cfu.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. We have... Uh, a number of people who do this, and we thank them. Me. It's just me. Is that a royal we, I guess? I don't know why I said we. I thank you so much for your support of uh, the show, but uh, we could always use more financial support uh, for this program as it's primarily a listener-supported show. So please go to patreon.com slash Control and make a flexible monthly donation. And whatever amount you wish, uh, you can always cancel you can always adjust your uh, donation, whatever it is. Uh, I would most appreciate it. Thank you very much. Patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again to the in-kind support I receive for this show by people like Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts. I also want to thank my uh, pal Jim Guthrie. He lets me use a song of his called The Rest Is Yet To Come to end this show each week. Thank you, Jim. Go to jimguthrie.org for more info about Jim. And finally, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode and other episodes of the show, for for subscribing to this podcast on whatever podcast platform you use and for telling your friends to do the same, You know, telling them about things you've heard on the show. I've been hearing that that's been happening more, and I'm over the moon. That's great. I, I feel like the, the more the word spreads about the show, the better it is for the show. So thank you for doing that. I am uh, going to go now, but I will talk to you very soon very very soon before you know it we'll be sort of having this one-way conversation again but as i said goodbye for now What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.